0: Welcome to Vancouver's downtown East Side, where an extraordinary squad of police officers
1: engage in an ongoing battle to keep control of one of the toughest
0: beats anywhere in North America. The beat enforcement team's undercover officers move into position in Oppenheimer Park.
2: Pretty nice gang you guys got going.
0: Constable Shane Aitken commands the operation from across the street.
2: What I'd like to try is, uh, Christy, you saw the uh, cluster of about three tents set up, break. There's about three girls living in the tent, and they've been smoking drugs the whole time. My thoughts are maybe you guys go in and uh, try and do a buy from them. Okay, girls are at the tent.
3: conversation.
2: Uh, Chrissy's got money out. He's checking them out. Doesn't like them. Uh, He wanted to see their hands. He's walked away. Man, they almost done a deal.
0: I'm Garth Mullins. This is Crackdown. Episode 18, Blue Metal Fence. The first thing that the plague brought to Vancouver was exile. In March, people vanished. The city looked like a ghost town. I was listening to a lot of news on the radio and it was all COVID all the time. One day when they threw to the traffic reporter, she said there was nothing to say. No one was driving anywhere. There was no rush hour. But on the downtown east side, the sidewalks were still packed. People were lining up for food and lining up to get into supervised injection sites. I'd never seen Vancouver's biggest tent city, Oppenheimer Park, so full. The city faced at least three crises, all at the same time. COVID, overdose, and housing. And in these dense 12 square blocks, many people simply couldn't social distance. But not to worry, we're all in this together or so we're told. Over the last week,
3: we've seen significant changes in what COVID-19 means for the country. Every day, we've had new updates for Canadians. The bottom line is
0: this, we're giving you more help when you need it. All
4: right, any other questions from the phone? Uh,
5: yeah, Crackdown Podcast.
0: On March 18th, our producer Alex DeBoer asks Vancouver's mayor in light of this state of emergency if he'll consider taking some drastic measures.
5: There are over 10,000 Vancouverites who can't socially distance because of inadequate housing. There are around 25,000 empty homes in the city. Will you commit to expropriating these homes to ensure Vancouver's most vulnerable residents remain safe over the coming months? Um, uh, no, not, not uh, expropriation is not our list of things to do, but however, uh, we are exploring uh, additional spaces. I have a call with the Federal uh, Housing Minister right after this press conference where we're discussing uh, funding and how they can help us uh, provide spaces to keep people safe if infections do start to uh, move into SROs and other vulnerable populations.
0: The weeks take by and nothing happens. More and more tents spring up in Oppenheimer Park. Oppenheimer is one of the downtown Eastside's only big green spaces. The place gets a bad rap, especially from the cops, but I love it. There's a row of cherry trees that blossom every spring. People shoot hoops there all the time and there's a baseball diamond where the seagulls love to hang out. As Vancouver housing got more and more expensive, the park started to fill up with tents. The cops and the city tried more than once to clear the park, but people kept coming back. And in the middle of a pandemic, some people in the park are tired of waiting for the government. They hold a meeting at Oppenheimer and decide to take matters into their own hands.
4: We're using our human rights to keep ourselves safe from COVID-19 because the government seems to forget about us.
0: This is Karen Lane. She's a downtown Eastside resident and a member of the coalition Our Homes Can't Wait.
4: He forgets that there's homeless. He doesn't have a package for them. He has a package for everybody else, but not for the homeless. They're still in the same boat. So we've decided to to do the squad. We decided to use our charter of rights, our human rights, to keep ourselves safe and secure.
0: On the afternoon of Saturday, April 18th, activists occupy part of a nearby elementary school. Lord Strathcona is a 19th century red brick building. It's imposing, Victorian, and institutional. With our city under quarantine, the school's empty, unused for weeks.
6: Vancouver hasn't seen a squatter's rights incident of this scope in years. Dozens of police and firefighters were called to East Van's Lord Strathcona School Saturday night after activists allegedly broke into the building and tried to convert it to improvised housing for homeless. They took over Strathcona School for hours and called the demonstration the Kennedy Stewart Squad, demanding Vancouver's mayor and the provincial government provide safe housing for the homeless during the pandemic.
0: The squatters barricade the doors, cops show up pretty quick, and they have a power saw. They're breaking, the door. We're now trying to break it down.
3: Go home, BPD. What are you doing,
6: man? Whoa, oh, they're trying to hit us with wood. They're trying to hit us with wood.
4: One by
0: one, they were arrested. The two fled to the rooftop where they stayed for hours.
5: The two people did flee to the, ro- the roof and were arrested at 8 30. They also did not sustain any injuries and all 14 people are in custody. Alright, thank you very much for coming down. Anything else you want to
0: talk
5: about? I think, yeah, All right. Give us enough fodder uh, for uh, today. I think
2: you got enough. Yeah. yeah.
0: Across the world, whole industries are shut down. Only essential services continue, but the cops are there to break down the door. Evicting squatters from an empty school is considered an essential service in Vancouver. The message seems pretty clear: for the government, policing homelessness is more important than providing housing even as billions of dollars are allocated for other COVID measures. And the tents just keep going up in Oppenheimer Park. Soon, there are nearly 300 people camping out. We're ready? Okay. Thank you. Um, Good morning and uh, hello, everyone. I'm Mike Farnworth, the Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General for British Columbia. Today, I am enacting an order. It's Saturday, April 25th one week after the cops raided the squad, and the provincial government is finally announcing a plan. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth and Minister of Social Development Shane Simpson hold a press conference. We are preparing to dismantle
5: encampments in Oppenheimer Park in Vancouver and along Victoria's Pandora Avenue and Topaz Park, and to bring the residents of these camps inside, primarily into hotel rooms and also into other accommodation uh, supports that'll
0: be made available. None of this is new. The city tried to clear the park before. They'd offered temporary housing before too. At the press conference, the ministers seem much more focused on disorder and danger in the park, not so much on COVID-19 or homelessness. To be clear, this is a public safety order, not a health order. And as an order under the Emergency Program Act, police and other compliance officials are able to enforce any violations of this act. Hi Minister, thanks for uh, joining us on Crackdown. Not a problem. I wanna find out if things are gonna be different this time. Are people gonna get permanent housing or just a temporary hotel room? So I call Minister Simpson. I just wanted to ask you a few questions about the announcement that happened uh, yesterday. Now governments have wanted to close these sites for a long time. Uh, and the and the public safety order speaks to police. It doesn't really speak to housing. Why was this done using a public safety order and not a public health order?
5: Well, and uh, and we are looking to close the sites. There's no doubt about that. We got to the point here where we looked at this site. Uh, we looked at the sites uh, in Victoria at Pandora um and uh and and there and just decided that it was time to be able to deal with the public safety issue it's
0: escalating you say it's you know we decided it's time to start doing this this is six weeks into the um you know self-isolation where everyone's at home um why is it just now that this is happening
5: well we're we're a long way from reopening a whole lot of things and and i think the reality is that uh those people who are most vulnerable are the people who have in many ways been mostly impacted by this because they didn't have the capacity, the resources to be able to isolate. Um, We know that there's nothing about this that's going away. This pandemic, the COVID crisis will be with us until there's a vaccine, which is projected out sometime a year, a year and a half from now. Uh, There's talk about what happens in the fall. Um, There's talk about how we move forward. So I don't think that there's anything quick about what's going to happen. Uh, It's not like uh, the COVID-19 situation will be over in a month. Um, And there are the large, there are also the public safety issues. Uh, I I look at uh, the amount of correspondence we've received from women supporting groups and women serving groups in that community, uh, very anxious and saying the challenges are in in the park um, and we need to deal with that. And when I, when we hear from groups uh, that have housing, that's women-dedicated housing saying we have risk, uh, when organizations that work with women who are in the sex trade are saying they're at risk and they direct us to talk about uh, to the park as a, a source of that, what some of the activity in the park, that's not something that we can ignore.
0: The minister has a point, sort of. There's been violence against women at Oppenheimer Park Camp. At least one horrific incident we've heard about, probably more. But violence against women doesn't just happen at a camp. It happens across society, in the streets, but also behind the locked doors of suburban homes, out of sight of ministers and police. People who camp in the park are making the best of a bad situation. For many, shelters don't feel safe, especially during the pandemic.
2: Well, there is no safety when you are left on the street, you are left. To your own survival.
0: Chrissy Brett is an organizer at the Oppenheimer Park Camp. She takes these kind of things seriously. For Chrissy, the safety of camp residents, especially women, is a big part of her every day.
2: Unhoused people have the greatest risk of violence and assault and sexual assault because they're on their own. If you are homeless, you have life expectancy half of an average Canadian.
0: How does the temporary housing, you know, hotel rooms or whatever, turn into permanent housing? How do we not just have people um kind of evicted and back in the same straits at the end of the COVID situation,
5: hey, I, and that's that's a fair comment. And uh, and what I will tell you is that uh, I have no desire to pull people out of that park, um, put them in a hotel for three or four three months, and then throw them back on the street. So, are you committing? Are you committing that that won't happen? Well, I'm committing certainly that that's our that's the discussion that we're having. That's the intention. That's the
0: plan. Would you commit here? That there'll be no evictions at the end of the covid thing that we won't just keep this wash rinse repeat cycle going for another one
5: my commitment is that i will do everything i can do the premier is the one that convened a cabinet committee he brought ministers together and it was at his direction and said um the homelessness the street entrenched issues we've got to deal with these in a more effective way
2: and
0: In 1990, I stayed in a tent camp on the edge of the Tenderloin, San Francisco's downtown east side. I remember the big brutalist space of concrete and uniform trees in orderly rows. Civic Center Plaza was like a parade ground for soldiers. But now it was full of tents and tarps. The fountain's been shut off. I camp with a group that I know from the punk scene. We all stick together in a kind of irritable camaraderie. Plus, it's safer. By 5 a.m., it's too cold to sleep. The chill comes up through the pavement and gets right in your bones. I feel restless, and my legs are getting jumpy. Teenage me is just starting to figure out what dope sickness is. My first habit, black tar heroin. So I get up and have a smoke, and move around and warm up. I'm not the only one. Across the sprawling camp, the glowing red cherries of a handful of cigarettes flare and fade. That afternoon, a handful of people show up with bags of new syringes and buckets for the spent ones. A bunch of camp residents jump up and form a line. I think of the dull spike I keep in my boot and join the line. I hand it over and get a new one. Nobody asks for my name or date of birth. There's no lecture and there's no invitation to a meeting. The guy just said something like, Here you go, brother. Be safe. Don't share. This is illegal as fuck. To outfox the cops, these guys sometimes have to transport rigs in a baby carriage. This gorilla needle exchange was my first interaction with harm reduction. A few months later, the merit had, had enough. He gave the order and police cleared the camp. People were scattered. I lost touch with most of the people I knew then, and I didn't know where to get new needles anymore.
6: Ross, you're a new member of the team. How does it feel to be a part of the team uh, with the Homeless Solution? Well, it it feels good to be able to um, talk about some of the uh, things, um, issues that we have down here and, you know, maybe get listened to by the people so they might understand us, why we're down here and what we're doing,
1: right?
0: Yeah, that's important, man, for sure. Um, Well, why don't don't you just go around and introduce introduce yourselves?
6: Okay, well, you know me, Garth, I'm Shay. I'm Scott, uh, Garth, nice to meet you. My name's
0: uh, Colin Spires. Right. Hey, well, nice to meet you. Colin Scott Shea. We got, we, got, we got Ross, too. I'm talking to some guys who live in Beacon Hill Park Camp in Victoria. They make a podcast from their tent. It's called The Homeless Idea.
6: In the uh, topic here today is going to be kind of a serious one and probably get us all arrested because they won't like us talking about it very much is law enforcement and how, how homeless people get along with law enforcement. Well, I mean, it depends on, I guess, who you are.
5: Very much so. Very oh, much
6: so. and Colin's yeah. got a call. Should we just yeah. stop the podcast? Yeah. For no,
1: no, no. I'm, okay, uh, that's good.
6: We decided to make a podcast because um, yeah, I had I, gotten this mic. I had a video camera, actually, originally, and I was like, you know, just required to fill off the back of a truck, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you, you, it, you, have to, you have to do what you have to do. And I was sitting there looking at this thing, and, and I'm thinking about how we need to document what we're going through because it's so wrong, but... I don't know how to document it. And I'm like, I'm not writing all this stuff down and taking it to court with me because I, I just, that's, that's not going to happen. I don't stay organized like that. So I was just like, what could I do? I said, record it. I just say, you know what? It'd be kind of funny to see who would listen to this. I thought, I wonder if anybody would actually listen or care about this. You kept running into me at like four in the morning down at the store, Max, not too far away. And, you asked me about it, and I was in right away. I was like, yeah, that's like, someone needs to hear what's going on. Because you hear all this stuff on the news, you hear on the radio programs. It's homeless, homeless, homeless. homeless but There's no one
5: actually speaking up for the homeless. There's no Every, everyone's. there's no voice, right? Um, let's, let's talk about the shit that's happening on Pandora. It's going down on May 9th is when they want to get rid of us here. Or have the option. Now, we've heard a, 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 some conflict, um, conflictory things with, uh, with what's happening here we obviously been caged in in the last week. Um, you're caged in up at Beacon, Check. No, we're not, man. Okay. So they've got the uh, the two areas uh, in Victoria and one in Vancouver, Optimer Park in Vancouver and Topaz and Pandora. They're closing down to the COVID pandemic.
6: Well, this is the first thing I'd like to know is, is okay, when you want people to socially distance, why would you put them in a fence? in together i think that this is when you
0: guys make the- an actual episode of the podcast you're you're in the tent you're gathered the three of you around a mic right and and you're talking um but you have to make sure you have enough power and you get that through solar panels right so w- what is that all about and then if there's if there's too much clouds that day you don't get power you don't get to make a podcast do i have this right <laughs>
6: Generator, yeah, was, you know what?
0: Um, you need a, You need a generator. Is that what you're saying? Well, we we, we got one right now. We, we oh, great! One
6: right now. Yeah, yeah. We we, we we just said yeah. We just got it yesterday. We said you know what? Let's just stop being so damn cheap and get a generator.
0: Congratulations! Thank you. <laughs> well, Thank you. After
5: the first one got confiscated by uh, yeah, Victoria's
6: yeah, Vic finest. Yeah, you can, that's that's a story in itself right there, man. Yeah. But uh, so we 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 we're, we're sitting on yeah, we're sitting on the table just like we're talking right now. We're just doing like that. We're kind of having a how like we would be podcasting right now. So. We're just it's it's just outside of my 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 tent. We're just kind of sitting on the like the patio kind of area that I made, just kind of tarped over. And um, this is where where we rock and roll, man. This is
0: where the magic happens. <laughs> and so can you can you see the stars from where you are right now? Yeah, sure.
5: Uh, yeah, there's four, yeah. there's four of them in here. And. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've lived in Victoria for a few years, and I lived in some pretty unconventional and public spaces for part of that time. You know, uh, never never camped in Beacon Hill Park, but can you tell people what that's like? What is it? Like, if there, if people were walking up towards the camp tonight, what would they see?
6: It's a blast, actually. It's it's just like this big, like, sound like um, a very, very beautiful park, and... It's, just, it's just some really really nice places to camp, and that's why I think a lot of people come here is they feel safe. We try our best to remain hidden and kind of camouflage right out yeah. and deep in the brush, so so that we don't bother people. Well, we all know that the eyesore is the, the nature of the enemy, right? They don't like the eyesore.
0: Right. And uh, you said you said I think it was Shay. You were saying you try to have people like you know keep it hidden and stuff like that. Do you play sort of a role in welcoming people, or how does that work?
6: Do I do I try to welcome people? I guess I. I do, yeah, absolutely, I do. Um, and I can say to them, hey, you know, treat the park with love. It's kind of like grandma's place. You throw your keys on the table when you walk into the door. Everybody's safe here. Please leave your beefs outside the door, you know, because nobody's got no way, you know, and, and just keep it cool, right? So I do try. I, I don't, I don't try and like tell anybody what to do because that's nobody. Want, I, I'm not here to do that. But uh, I just, I just try to keep a, you know, a good vibe going.
0: The Homeless Idea podcast is an example of the power of camps. People find each other, form communities, and organize. They work on projects. This is what happened in Oppenheimer Park when residents built an OPS. It's also what happened in the park in 2014 at a previous Oppenheimer camp when residents decided to resist police evictions. Back then, I was down at the camp now and again as a supporter. We all did this training together, nonviolent civil disobedience. This guy named Dan was our drill sergeant. He stood us in columns in t-shirt and long hair, hands on hips. And he instructed us, like, don't mouth off to the cops. Don't give them any reason to get violent. Just remaining there, he said, was an act of resistance. We practiced forming a line together to defend the elders in the tents. It didn't matter. The cops cleared the camp anyway. Still, camps make collective organizing possible. I think that's part of why governments close them down. Plus, they're a giant billboard advertising total government housing failure to anyone driving past.
1: Hey, hey, check, check.
0: It's Tuesday, April 28th, overcast skies, spitting rain. Today is the beginning of the end for the Oppenheimer camp. The minister's public safety order is coming into effect People are packing up. They can take one box, and then they're being shifted to hotel rooms. We sent producers Sam Fenn and Alexander Kim down to check it out.
1: Hey. Hey, uh, I'm on the north side of the park. Yeah, me i I'm just parking. All right, look for the blue fences. OK. Up. Got a mask I can use?
5: Yeah. Nice. So this is this is like a blue it's like a blue construction fence, basically, like what you yep. see around a construction site. Exactly. But it's taller. I think it's like a little taller than most of them. If it's tall enough it'd be hard pretty hard to scale. Yeah.
1: And there's three tenths that are inside the fence where it is now. Starting to rain. At
0: first, this doesn't make any sense. Why would there just be one little fenced off section? But gradually it becomes clear. This is how they're clearing the park, piece by piece. Once they get a tent out, they fence off the space so no one else can use it. We'll
1: leave the last panel for now until we put all the spikes on. And then we'll take the uh, last panel in. We
5: just gotta wait for everyone to make sure they get their stuff. So, for the table, the sound we're getting right now is a couple guys on a ladder and they're attaching like uh, spikes onto the top of the fence.
1: So you can't climb over.
4: Yeah.
0: Day by day, the blue metal fence grows until the whole park is fenced off.
5: So, uh, so do you mind if I ask uh, what it's been like here today?
1: Um, it's been tense off and on.
0: Camp organizer, Chrissy Brett.
1: I think that for a lot of us, we're very happy that people are getting into hotels, but This is an easy way to remove an eyesore rather than dealing with the real not only COVID but housing and fentanyl crisis. It's already been estimated on a low estimation that 8700 hotel rooms would be needed to house every homeless person, every person in a shelter mat and every person in SRO who's sharing like bathrooms and showers with people so that they can actually physically distance and So we're when we need like 8700 to 10,000 hotel rooms And there's 12,000 here in Vancouver and so far. I think there's 400 that have been opened. I think we have a long time coming before anything's addressed.
6: That's where yeah. Pump
1: hey, hey, check, check. Guy, you want to introduce yourself real quick?
6: Uh, my name's Guy. We've met you before. Yeah, Garth's a good uh, friend of
0: mine. Guy Felicello was a drug user on the downtown east side for decades. Now he's a harm reduction activist. You might remember him from a previous episode of Crackdown, where he was playing with his kids.
1: So we're standing across the street from Oppenheimer. It's Saturday, this is the deadline for everybody to get out of the park. Um, the whole park is pretty much covered by like blue fence now. There's only a few, there's like a tiny little holdout section and besides that, everyone else is gone and there's just debris left behind. Yeah.
6: The, the, seeing the blue fence is really kind of um, shocking. You know, I love this community. I've lived down here for a long time and now live outside of it, but, you know, I'm still actively involved in it. And, um, you know, for me to, to see it like this, it's, it's pretty sad.
1: Should we walk around?
6: Yeah, let's go. I know these guys got housing here. They might want to talk.
1: Sure. So, are you guys living in the park? Yeah, I was living in the park. Yeah. For how long? Three months, almost, I guess. Do you think your situation is going to be better after today or worse?
6: Holy shit, that's a uh, loaded fucking question. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs>
6: it, it, I don't know. It can only get better, right? Yeah. If I if I start thinking it can only get worse, then you know I got problems.
1: Can I ask um? That's like the park,
6: like what it was like to be here and uh what it was like to here? be here. What it was like to be here. Holy fuck man. Your questions. Yo, it was uh it was you know it was a fucking tornado. I mean what do you want me to say? Is uh look at it.
1: Yeah.
6: Um you know the way it looks is kinda the way it felt, right?
4: Yeah, I lived there for almost 11 months. Um, my name's Kim Berg. I'm from here. I'm born and raised here. I was born in the region Hotel I'm on the pool table. Uh, I've seen Life a hell of hell, life of laughter, a lot, a lot of tears and death.
1: So you're staying right here in this building? It's a shitty
4: fucking place, man.
1: What's it like in there?
4: I can't have visitors. I can't have my wife there. I'm not allowed my family there. Can't bring my dogs there.
1: What's gonna happen to your dogs? I don't know. Shit man. I'm sorry. It's not right. Is it, do you think it's better to stay in the, like is it, would you rather stay in the park than stay in the SRO here?
4: By a thousand miles. Yeah. Why is that? A peaceful sleep. Mm-hmm. People around you watch over you. They're like family. They, we had our own community. We had our own security. We had everything done with. People cooked for us, like people that didn't have food. They got food donated, big barbecues. We had steak, roast beef, prime rib. We had everything, man. Like donation people were so kind to us. And people actually stayed and had barbecues with us, man. Church people donate their time, you know? Please, can't even go and say, you know, good, good thoughts, you know, thanks for coming and helping out. Do
1: you feel safer in here than
4: there? I feel 100%, 1000% safer in that park than anywhere in the city. Yeah. I would put my life in that park, because I'm dedicated deg- to this park, as the people are to me, and they treat me with respect. I'm their elder, and they respect me as an elder. Uh, we have our hard days, we have our rough days, we have our good days. But most of the days are awesome in there, man. The parties, the laughter, the cheers, the funniness, the people, just the jokes. Our lives are most important. Our kids, our animals, our lives, our dignity and our respect for ourselves. It means the whole world to us.
0: Front end loader with a giant black cloth drags debris through the street. Pallets and planks of wood, tents and clothing, blankets and tarps. Broken tent poles scrape across the concrete. I got this friend, this guy I play music with. He also feels at home in Oppenheimer, but he got moved to a hotel room. When the city started to open back up, I caught up with him. All right, so we could call you, uh,
3: what, what, what pseudonym should we give you? Um, there's not many left to use without telling them. My, well, that should be my
0: real name, right? But what are the things that we can tell people so they get an idea of like the type of person you are you're a musician you've lived in vancouver for a bunch of years Mm -hmm. like you live in the hood is there anything else that people should know about you that doesn't give away who you are
3: that's a good one (laughs) (laughs) so see just the silence alone might tell you who i am right
0: (laughs) my friend does not want us to use his name Housing agencies have a lot of control over what the next several months of his life is gonna look like. So he wants to be on the safe side. Okay, a local musician who I have had the pleasure of working with? Yeah. Is that good? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, we were just chatting, and uh, we were chatting about our different experiences during the COVID sort of lockdown stuff. Yeah. And you were in Oppenheimer
3: Park for part of that, right?
0: Yes, I was. And what was it like there? What was it like in Oppenheimer Park during the lockdown time?
3: Um, it was still the mix of heaven and hell at the same time, and uh, more heaven than hell. Tell me about the heaven. What was the heaven? Um, great night for sleeping, calm, relaxed. Most people are family oriented where they cheated everybody like as if they're brothers and sisters. So it was like as if heaven was hidden in the hood. You just covered it in a pile of shit right <laughs> you know what i mean if you can kick the shit away it was heaven in there but there's still a real situ- serious situation of people going missing and i see overdoses every morning here i am getting my first night in the room and i come back in the park and i see the ser- same person i just knocked from the weekend before they're actually dead and there's just a corner there and uh you know the corner's pronouncing them dead already so this is like this consuming monster that's in there How people go missing and you know this whole thing right right yeah we're just living we just want our freedom that's the bottom line everybody wants their freedom so now for us to move into hotels we kind of gave up some of that freedom to confine or conform to um corporate procedures now right you told me it was like the whole hood moved to granville street because that's that's where a
0: bunch of those hotels are right yeah they're all on there's four or five of them out there now so and we don't need to give away where you're staying, but it's kind of around there, right? You got yeah, moved so, to a hotel there. Yeah, I got moved to a hotel. And what what's that
3: like now? I mean, it's nice, but it's a different lifestyle altogether. So,
0: like, how do you get your food? Do you have? Is there any way to make it in the room? Or? No,
3: they get they get deliveries.
0: Yeah. What kind of food right?
3: do you get? They get they cater to our diet. Like, some people eat meat, some people don't eat meat. I think you're getting two meals a day, and all kinds of other amenities that are pretty swank considering we just came out of the hood right yeah like laundry and blah 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 and this and that
0: so you know in the park they had an overdose prevention site and people kind of like you said try yeah. to look out for each other yeah. but in the hotels everyone's in separate rooms and they're supposed to stay that way yeah like are you do you worry process,
3: uh, well i can't say they're not using in the hotel rooms but um the way i look at it now like everybody's going back into the same hood anyways to go back to use your things and just come back to sleep at night so most people are making that journey, the pilgrimage, just to get back on the hood so they can get back on the routine and then come back at night. So, so it, do, you, do you think it's
0: going to work out or do you think people are going to be open back up at Tent City at well, Oppenheimer Park? It all
3: boils down to the freedom, too, because nobody wants to move into a place where they restrictions again. What kind of restrictions they got? Well, I mean, everybody's like number one problem for Vancouver has got to be loneliness. So if you live in a place where they don't let you have visitors, guess what? All that's going to compound with no interest and you're going to be doing whatever it you, is you're doing to escape. Even more. So I can't come over and visit with you? At well, that? we can come over, but you just can't come in to visit me. I'd have to come out to see you somewhere. Right. And a lot of places downtown are like that anyways. The whole hood's like that. The whole hood is SRO'd like that right now with COVID, no restriction. And even before then, that restriction was always going on, right? So a lot of times, I mean, it's hard to put restrictions on grown people when they're trying to just live. The downtown east side is such a fucking
0: over-policed community you're a black man and we've seen (laughs) all this fucking shit sweeping over North America over, well, 400 years, but, you know, like, particularly
3: over the last little bit. How do you, like, what are you feeling right now? Um, I don't know. That's, like, a loaded question. We we can go anywhere. Because, I mean, I have 50 years of experiences to share, right? My experiences here in Vancouver have been quite unique, where if I hang out in the hood... Downtown East Side, I fall into the profile where the, I get less people calling the police on me. But if I go in the other place, I fall into a profile where the general public is calling the police to come check on me while I'm even doing my work. So I've been pulled out of my car one time while working at gunpoint with my son. Right, So that wasn't a good experience, but I took it as a bright note and said, you know what, at least my son's here so he knows how to do, deal with the situation next time it happens to him. And, and your job takes you to a lot of different parts of the different city. Different places, right? yeah. different all over the place, right? Yeah. There's a lot of people who've been going through this for a very long time and who aren't even black. Mm-hmm. Right? This is a real issue. When they confront with police due to some kind of aggression issue, they get met with more aggression. Then they get taken in and medicated where they're going to lose their mind. So this violence thing has to be controlled on all kinds of levels. So you're saying you you stay in the downtown east side because it's actually safer for
0: you, because less people are going to call the cops, but now you have been moved yeah. outside, you've been housed in a hotel outside of the neighborhood. Yeah. Do you feel like a little bit more sketchy, like uh, being around there?
3: Yes, a little bit, but uh, at least I'm still in the core of... Yeah, Campbell. you haven't been moved that far yeah, <laughs> outside. So, and I'm kind of used to that area a little bit, but I still know what I'm feeling when I walk by and I what I, I know what I'm feeling, right? and I just know, hey, some places feel welcome and some places don't.
0: So where do you think, where do you think, do you have any sense of where you're going to be living, say, this time, like, like in October or something like that? Do you? Uh,
3: I don't know where exactly, but a mansion in the beachfront would be nice, right? All right. With a couple yeah. of like a massive studios in there and yes, multi-car garage or something like that. You know, I'm trying to keep
0: it simple. Like somewhere to rehearse that doesn't smell vaguely musty all the time. Exactly. (laughs) Over its 122-year history, Oppenheimer Park has seen plenty of expulsion and exile. There have been several tent camps and many police evictions. In the 1990s, During the last overdose crisis, we planted a thousand crosses in the grass to remember the dead. Back then, we opened an unsanctioned safe injection site nearby. We've held meetings, conferences, and memorials here for years. During the depression, 10,000 workers held a protest against police violence in Oppenheimer. Back then, it was the center of the Japanese Canadian community.
2: You know, I I am a Japanese Canadian uh, person. Uh, I am of a generation we call the Sansei, which is a third-generation Canadian.
0: Jeff Masuda is a human geographer, associate professor at Queen's University, and Canada Research Chair in Environmental Health Equity.
2: My uh, own family on my father's side immigrated um, at the turn of the 20th century to Vancouver and made their home in and around Oppenheimer Park, or what they would have called then Powell Grounds. And so in my case, my relationship to the park is, similar to that of many people in the Japanese-Canadian community, and that is the park is really a fundamental part of the sort of mythology of where our ancestors dwelled. That's the place where my
0: family, that's where they played. Japanese immigrants tended to settle on what's now called the downtown east side. In 1907, a white mob attacked the community after rioting through Chinatown. In other parts of Vancouver, land and property titles often included a restrictive covenant. A clause which prohibited selling or renting to anyone who wasn't white. With World War II, anti Japanese racism only intensified.
2: The broad Pacific, spreading in majestic silence from the pole star to the southern cross. Looking out with increasing anxiety over this vast ocean are the people of the new world's western shores. For well they know that on the great waters outside their gates, the tide of war flowing closer.
0: In 1942, shortly after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, Prime Minister Mackenzie King ordered the internment of more than 23,000 Japanese Canadians. They were forcibly relocated from their homes along the Pacific coast to inland concentration camps. They were imprisoned in these camps until the end of the war. The government stole their property and sold it off to fund internment.
2: That area of the neighborhood Um, almost overnight, um, was completely evacuated. It was, in a sense, in a very different sense of the park today, it was a decampment um, of people forcibly removed from their homes and ultimately dispersed east of the Rockies.
0: Jeff says the removal of Japanese Canadians in 1942 and the eviction of the Oppenheimer camp in 2020 are part of the same kind of process. And he thinks this banishment gives rise to an opposing force. It gives the dispossessed a shared story. People who experience eviction, people who
2: experience the hostility of having their belongings stripped from them, people who experience getting punted out of a of an SRO because it's been condemned or because it's been purchased and it's going to be upscaled, it creates something in them, a desire to fight back. And, you know, it's that sense of a collective identity from the experience of banishment that we think is, you know, the, that community's best chance at sustaining itself um, in the face of these kinds of circumstances. The slogan and, and the name, I suppose, of our, of our research collective, which has formed over the, no, the last number of years, is this idea of the right to remain.
0: Jeff says that this idea, the right to remain, is simple. Nobody should be able to tell a community that they don't have the right to exist. And he thinks communities will be better at pushing back, at sticking up for themselves, if they know their history.
2: Uh, a community can only exist if it has a sense of agency, political agency, of declaring its existence. And then, of course, a community needs to exist, uh, can only exist if it has the necessary resources to sustain, sustain itself, including land and housing and so on and so forth. And so the Right to Remain really tries to um, put all of those things together as an expression uh, uh, of the oppositional force, the banishment.
0: Jeff works with the Powell Street Festival Society. They organize a Japanese-Canadian arts and culture festival in Oppenheimer Park every year. But there was a tent camp in the park in 2014.
2: The camp was, was, had formed earlier in the summer. It was running on for weeks. The festival was on the horizon. Um, And they said, they declared publicly it wasn't going to happen. I I mean, they had the festival, but they moved it off of the park. They really declared that there there was no way that, that they were, that the festival was going to make itself an excuse by the city to decamp that tent city at the time.
0: The Powell Street Festival made the same call again in 2019. Emiko Morita, executive director of the society, told the press, quote, we are historically displaced people, and we don't want to take part in displacing vulnerable people. You know, I was uh, just at the park yesterday. Right now, it looks like, um, you know, typical Vancouver overcast skies and raining a little bit. Um, empty. Security, uh, you know, private security guards kind of parked in little cars on either side and surrounded by blue metal fence.
2: Mm. Um, well, I would have to say, uh, I'm not surprised and it's not the first time, you know, and I think that the, the, my response to that is, uh, those, those fences are not permanent. I think that the, the attachment that I have symbolically to the, to that park, uh, the importance of that public space to people who live around that park, uh, will certainly outlast those fences. People who need that park will find their way back into the park. So, yeah, I think in the longer arc of history, um, this will just be another of a long list of these kind of limited efforts to control public space.
0: The same kind of thing keeps happening in the park from its very first dispossession when colonial authorities occupied Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil land.
2: It's not a cycle, right? It's not that the camp, Exists and then it's decamped, and so on and so forth. It's a spiral. The number of available housing units is declining, um, it has been declining decade after decade. The number of people who are living unhoused is rising. There is an endpoint to it. Um, we don't really have um, it's hard to anticipate what that looks like, but certainly it's tied to the chronic underinvestment in housing and, and an unwillingness to do anything to meaningfully support um, and sustain the housing that does exist in the downtown side and has existed there for well over 100 years. And it really, when I look at that park, whether it's through fences or walking through it or participating in the festival, um, you see the glimpses of ancestors playing in the park. Um, and that's a pretty common experience for Japanese Canadians.
0: We need housing, but you know that. The city is a hellscape. It wants to spit you out or to crush you. And it's designed that way. A steadily growing police budget is there to enforce that vision. Politicians offer anemic and incremental solutions that vanish before they're implemented. But somehow in this hellscape, we find each other. We band together to survive. But that effort goes unrecognized or actively opposed by those who run the city. A tent camp is not some romanticized utopia. Nothing's romantic after a week in the rain but it's a place where people can claim back just a little dignity and agency, the self-determination that's been stolen from them, from some of us at birth, or four centuries ago. This little park is an island where people find each other and they try to build something. But this city has a vicious, albeit polite, ruling class that orders wave after wave of banishment, a spiral. Before they even finished kicking everyone out of Oppenheimer, a new tent camp had sprung up at Crab Park just a few blocks away, down near the port. But police raided that camp too. They surrounded it in the same blue metal fence. Many people moved to yet another camp from there, and they'll probably get kicked out of that one too. Today Oppenheimer is empty. No one can use it for anything. No tents, no basketball, no meetings. It's just dirt surrounded by blue metal fence. Oppenheimer used to be for someone, but now for the time being, it's for no one. Crackdown is produced on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil nations. Last week, we lost a good friend, warrior, and activist, Wade Crawford, from Six Nations. R.I.P. Wade. Our editorial board is Simona Marsh, Castor, Greg Fess, Jeff Loudon, Dean Wilson, Al Fowler, Laura Shaver, Dave Murray, R.I.P. Dave, and Sharice Kewatin, R.I.P. Sharice. Crackdown's senior producer is Sam Fenn. Our producers are Lisa Hale and Alexander Kim. Our science advisor is Ryan McNeil, assistant professor and director of harm reduction research at the Yale School of Medicine. I'm Garth Mullins, host, writer, and executive producer. You can follow me on Twitter, at Garth Mullins. Original score was written and performed by Sam Fenn, James Ash, and I. Our theme song was written by me and Sam with accompaniment from Dave Jens and Ben Appenheimer. We make this podcast with funds from the Canadian Institutes of Health Research and the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and from our Patreon supporters. Stay safe and keep six.